Section 14 of Eliah and the Last Essays of Eliah. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Cullen. Eliah and the Last Essays of Eliah by Charles Lamb. My Relations I am arrived at that point of life at which a man may account it a blessing, as it is a singularity, if he have either of his parents surviving. I have not that felicity, and sometimes think feelingly of a passage in Brown's Christian Morals, where he speaks of a man that hath lived sixty or seventy years in the world, in such a compass of time. He says a man may have a close apprehension what it is to be forgotten when he hath lived to find none who could remember his father or scarcely the friends of his youth and may sensibly see with what a face in no long time oblivion will look upon himself. I had an aunt, a dear and good one. She was one whom single blessedness had soured the world. She often used to say that I was the only thing in it which she loved, and when she thought I was quitting it, she grieved over me with mother's tears. A partiality quite so exclusive my reason cannot altogether approve. She was from morning till night poring over good books and devotional exercises. Her favourite volumes were Thomas a Kempis in Stanhope's translation and a Roman Catholic prayer book, with the matins and complines regularly set down, terms which I was at that time too young to understand. She persisted in reading them, although admonished daily concerning their papistical tendency, and went to church every Sabbath as a good Protestant should do. These were the only books she studied, though I think at one period of her life, she told me, she had read with great satisfaction the adventures of an unfortunate young nobleman. Finding the door of the chapel in Essex Street open one day, it was in the infancy of that heresy, she went in, liked the sermon and the manner of worship, and frequented it at intervals for some time after. She came not for doctrinal points, and never missed them, with some little asperities in her constitution, which I have above hinted at, she was a steadfast, friendly being, and a fine old Christian. She was a woman of strong sense and a shrewd mind, extraordinary at a repartee, one of the few occasions of her breaking silence, else she did not much value wit. The only secular employment I remember to have seen her engaged in was the splitting of French beans and dropping them into a china basin of fair water. The odour of those tender vegetables to this day comes back upon my sense, redolent of soothing recollections. Certainly it is the most delicate of culinary operations. Male aunts, as somebody calls them, I had none to remember. By the uncle's side I may be said to have been born an orphan, Brother or sister, I never had any, to know them. A sister, I think, that should have been Elizabeth, died in both our infancies. What a comfort or what a care may I not have missed in her. But I have cousins sprinkled about in Hertfordshire, besides two with whom I have been all my life in habits of the closest intimacy 
and whom I may term cousins par excellence. These are James and Bridget Elia. They are older than myself by twelve and ten years, and neither of them seems disposed in matters of advice and guidance to waive any of the prerogatives which primogenitor confers. May they continue still in the same mind, and when they shall be seventy-five and seventy-three years old, I cannot spare them sooner, persist in treating me in my grand climacteric precisely as a stripling or younger brother. James is an explicable cousin. Nature hath her unities, which not every critic can penetrate, or, if we feel, we cannot explain them. The pen of Yorick and of none since his could have drawn J.E. entire. Those fine Shandian lights and shades which make up his story. I must limp after in my poor antithetical manner, as the fates have given me grace and talent. J.E. then, to the eye of a common observer at least, seemeth made up of contradictory principles. The genuine child of impulse, the frigid philosopher of prudence, the phlegm of my cousin's doctrine, is invariably at war with his temperament, which is high sanguine. With always some fire new project in his brain, J.E. is the systematic opponent of innovation, and crier down of everything that has not stood the test of age and experiment. With a hundred fine notions chasing one another hourly in his fancy, he is startled at the least approach to the romantic in others, and determined by his own sense in everything, commends you to the guidance of common sense on all occasions. With a touch of the eccentric in all which he does, or says, he is only anxious that you should not commit yourself by doing anything absurd. On my once letting slip at table that I was not fond of a certain popular dish, he begged me at any rate not to say so, for the world would think me mad. He disguises a passionate fondness for works of high art, whereof he hath amassed a choice collection, under the pretext of buying only to sell again that his enthusiasm may give no encouragement to yours. Yet, if it were so, why does that piece of tender pastoral Dominicino hang still by his wall? Is the ball of his sight much more dear to him, or what picture-dealer can talk like him? Whereas mankind in general are observed to warp their speculative conclusions to the bent of their individual humours, his theories are sure to be in diametrical opposition to his constitution. He is courageous as Charles of Sweden, upon instinct, cherry of his person, upon principle, as a travelling Quaker. He has been preaching up to me all my life the doctrine of bowing to the great, the necessity of forms and manner to a man's getting on in the world. He himself never aims at either that I can discover, and has a spirit that would stand upright in the presence of the cham of Tartary. It is pleasant to hear him discourse of patience, extolling it as the truest wisdom, and to see him during the last seven minutes that his dinner is getting ready. Nature never ran up in her haste a more restless piece of workmanship than when she moulded this impetuous cousin 
and art never turned out a more elaborate orator than he can display himself to be upon his favourite topic of the advantages of quiet and contentedness in the state, whatever it may be that we are placed in. He is triumphant on this theme when he has you safe in one of those short stages that ply for the western road, in a very obstructing manner at the foot of John Murray's street, where you get in when it is empty and are expected to wait till the vehicle have completed her just freight, a trying three-quarters of an hour to some people. He wonders at your fidgetiness. Where could we be better than we are, thus silting, thus consulting, prefers, for his part, a state of rest to locomotion. With an eye all the while upon the coachman, till at length, waxing out of all patience at your want of it, he breaks out into a pathetic remonstrance at the fellow for detaining us so long over the time which he had professed, and declares peremptorily that the gentleman in the coach is determined to get out if he does not drive on that instant. Very quick at inventing an argument or detecting a sophistry, he is incapable of attending you in any chain of arguing. Indeed, he makes wild work with logic and seems to jump at most admirable conclusions by some process not at all akin to it. Consonantly enough to this, he hath been heard to deny, upon certain occasions, that there exists such a faculty at all in man as reason, and wondereth how man came first to have a conceit of it, enforcing his negation with all the might of reasoning he is master of. He has some speculative notions against laughter, and will maintain that laughing is not natural to him, when peradventure the next moment his lungs shall crow like chanticleer. He says some of the best things in the world, and declareth that wit is his aversion. It was he who said, upon seeing the Eton boys at play in their grounds, What a pity to think that these fine, ingenious lads in a few years will all be changed into frivolous members of Parliament. His youth was fiery, glowing, tempestuous, and in age he discovereth no symptom of cooling. This is that which I admire in him. I hate people who meet time halfway. I am for no compromise with that inevitable spoiler. While he lives, J.E. will take his swing. It does me good as I walk towards the street of my daily avocation on some fine May morning to meet him marching in a quite opposite direction with a jolly handsome presence and a shining sanguine face that indicates some purchase in his eye, a Claude or a Hobbema, for much of his enviable leisure is consumed at Christie's and Phillips, or where not, to pick up pictures and such gauds. On these occasions he mostly stoppeth me to read a short lecture on the advantage a person like me possesses above himself, in having his time occupied with business, which he must do, assureth me, that he often feels it hang heavy on his hands, wishes he had fewer holidays, and goes off westward ho, chanting a tune to Pall Mall, perfectly convinced that he has convinced me while I proceed in my opposite direction, tuneless. 
it is pleasant again to see this professor of indifference doing the honours of his new purchase when he has fairly housed it you must view it in every light till he has found the best placing it at this distance and at that but always suiting the focus of your sight to his own you must spy at it through your fingers to catch the aerial perspective though you assure him that to you the landscape shows much more agreeable without that artifice woe be to the luckless wight who does not only not respond to his rapture but who should drop an unseasonable intimation of preferring one of his anterior bargains to the present the last is always his best hit his cynthia of the minute alas how many a mild madonna have i known to come in a raphael keep its ascendancy for a few brief moons then after certain intermedial degradations from the front drawing-room to the back gallery thence to the dark parlour adopted in turn by each of the caracci under successive lowering ascriptions of filiation mildly breaking its fall consigned to the oblivious lumber-room go out at last a luca giordano or plain carlo moratti which things when i beheld musing upon the chances and mutabilities of fate below hath made me to reflect upon the altered condition of great personages or that woeful queen of richard the second set forth in pomp she came adorned hither like sweet may sent back like holomus or shortest day with great love for you j e hath but a limited sympathy with what you feel or do he lives in a world of his own and makes slender guesses at what passes in your mind he never pierces the marrow of your habits he will tell an old established playgoer that mr such a one of so-and-so naming one of the theatres is a very lively comedian as a piece of news he advertised me but the other day of some pleasant green lanes which he had found out for me knowing me to be a great walker in my own immediate vicinity who have haunted the identical spot any time these twenty years he has not much respect for that class of feelings which goes by the name of sentimental he applies the definition of real evil to bodily sufferings exclusively and rejecteth all others as imaginary he is affected by the sight or the bare supposition of a creature in pain to a degree which i have never witnessed out of womankind a constitutional acuteness to this class of sufferings may in part account for this the animal tribe in particular he taketh under his especial protection a broken-winded or spur-galled horse is sure to find an advocate in him an overloaded ass is his client for ever he is the apostle to the brute kind the never-failing friend of those who have none to care for them the contemplation of a lobster boiled or eels skinned alive will wring him so that all for pity he could die it will take the savour from his palate and the rest from his pillow for days and nights with the intense feeling of thomas clarkson he wanted only the steadiness of pursuit and unity of purpose of that 
true yoke fellow with time to have effected as much for the animal as he hath done for the negro creation but my uncontrollable cousin is but imperfectly formed for purposes which demand cooperation he cannot wait his amelioration plans must be ripened in a day for this reason he has cut but an equivocal figure in benevolent societies and combinations for the alleviation of human sufferings his zeal constantly makes him to outrun and put out his coadjutors he thinks of relieving while they think of debating he was blackballed out of a society for the relief of because the fervour of his humanity toiled beyond the formal apprehension and creeping processes of his associates i shall always consider this distinction as a patent of nobility in the elia family do i mention these seeming inconsistencies to smile at or upbraid my unique cousin marry heaven and all good manners and the understanding that should be between kinsfolk forbid with all the strangenesses of this strangest of the Elias, I would not have him in one jot or tittle other than he is. Neither would I barter or exchange my wild kinsman for the most exact, regular, and every way consistent kinsman breathing. In my next reader, I may perhaps give you some account of my cousin Bridget, if you are not already surfeited with cousins, and take you by the hand if you are willing to go with us on an excursion which we made a summer or two since in search of more cousins through the green plains of pleasant hertfordshire end of section fourteen